You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right. Well, good evening. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to preach tonight. Uh, well, Pastor is on his way back from enjoying some time in Florida. Now, I'm a bit weirded out now at this point, particularly since Brother Samuel and Miss Brielle and Pastor and Miss Aaron left for Florida, because here's what's happened. I, I, I've started working for, for Levo Credit Union here in town, and y'all South Dakotans are really weird with this whole everybody does the same thing at the same time without really planning together, because I've probably met... 10 people in the last two weeks that are all going to Florida, almost nearly to the same area at the same time. So it's, y'all are starting to kind of weird me out <laughs> a little bit. So I'm, start, I'm gonna wonder if there's anything else going on here, but nonetheless, thankful for the opportunity to preach tonight. Uh, to get straight to the point, I am, I, when, when kind of thinking about what to preach, I am in a little bit of a surreal place right now, because as most of you know, I'm getting married very soon actually. It's like 18 days, and for those of you ladies in here, you'll generally clap your hands like this, and the guys will rattle their shackles at me, and it's great. Everybody celebrates, and I'm really looking forward to it. But um, it's, it's kind of surreal because you're reflecting on, this is the last time I'm going to speak to you all as a single man, and, and uh, you know, kind of reflecting on, on life up until this point, really, because now I'm obligated to be responsible as a person, and it, it's terrifying. <laughs> so... Um, I've been reflecting uh, on the wisdom and life lessons that, are, uh, that have been imparted to me throughout my life, and um, I've been evaluating my operating principles, as you could say, and determining the core of, of what exactly it is that I, as a, as a man, want to establish as the fundamental guiding principle for the family that I'm set to establish here shortly. Now, I'm not sure I've ever talked about uh, my parents much from the pulpit, uh, in conversation, you'll probably hear me mention them a lot. I love them and I have a very close relationship with them. Um, you hear me mention my dad a lot because I respect the man he is. And obviously, as, as my dad and me as a man, I want to emulate my father. Um, but, but tonight, I am going to give my mom a little bit of credit before, before we get started because the, the core of this message really was something that she has spent her whole life trying to impart to me. So first of all, to give my mom some credit, if I can sing a tune, even remotely decent, um, my dad is half deaf, so it's not because of him. My mom has the most beautiful voice in the world, and so I'm extremely grateful for that. But um, furthermore, uh, she really has been the core reason that we, you could say we as the Madden family, my, my dad, my brother, and I, that we are who we are um, because of the, the woman that my mom is. Um, if there's any, any claim that we have to being responsible Christian men, it's uh, my mom has an unshakable determination to hold on to, to truth and to, to live that out. Um, so again, tonight I'm going to share with you, I think, the one thing my mom considered, considered the one thing. I mean, really, this is it. This is, if, if she passed on anything to me before she sent me out of the house, this, this was it. Um, and so I, I think everyone else, uh, everything else that she would try to impart to me would really would really kind of be impossible to attain if, if I had neglected this. So she really dedicated a lot to it. Um, to me, my mom's a woman among women. Um, she, she lost her dad when she was around 13 or 14 and basically had to start living on her own at around the age of 16. Um, I, think, I think she got saved around the age of, of 22 and then dedicated herself to being involved in church, uh, particularly in the music ministry as much as she could uh, while learning 
about Jesus Christ, all while earning her master's degree, no less. So um, she married my dad. They've been together for nearly 30 years, and, and they both would attest that the 30 years would have been impossible um, if it were not for what we're going to delve into tonight. So to put it in perspective, if, if really, really, to me, what, what we're about to get into, if, I'm, if I were to die tomorrow, this would be, this would be the last thing I'd want to be able to communicate with people. It's, I think it's that important. So without further ado, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. You can take your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Brother Mike said the, the clock on the back is busted, so I can take as long as I want tonight. So y'all are stuck. <laughs> so Philippians chapter 4, I want you there, let's stand, we'll, we'll read, it's not a very long passage. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 1, it says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Verse number 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Because of that, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And verse, verse number eight is really what, we are, what we're going to focus a lot on. It's finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, admittedly, this might be a, one of my weirder sermons as I try to develop my thought here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to illustrate something to, to open up tonight. We're going to set the stage a little bit. How many of you in here drive? You drive yourself. You have your own personal method of transportation. Just about everybody. Of those of you who drive, how many of you with a functional vehicle would prefer to take public transit? If you raise your hand, I think you're a psycho. <laughs> so no one's hand is raised. That's good. So, and it, okay, so I say that not because I, I have anything against public transportation. I think it is um, useful to have around. Uh, I think the resource, I think I'm thankful that the resource exists on the, on the off chance that on my day off I want to waste a lot of time waiting for the bus. Um, otherwise, I, I'd really honestly rather walk maybe even than, than use public transit because it's only convenient if you don't have a car. If you do have a car, generally the closest thing you come to as far as riding the bus is concerned is riding its bumper because they're never going the speed limit. Um, in any case, if you're skeptical, I, I just want to compare the two. When, when you get on a bus, you may have a destination in mind, but in reality, it's the bus driver that decides where you're going and precisely how you're eventually going to get there. You're just along for the ride. You'll most likely reach your intended destination, sometimes not even precisely, but only in relative proximity to it. You're merely in the passenger seat looking out the window passively as the scenes roll by. You don't get to, you're not the one that gets to decide how long you spend at each stop. You don't decide on whether or not you take an alternative route. You can't decide whether you have a ride waiting there for you as soon as you're done with your errands. You have to get on the next bus. You don't even get to determine who randomly decides to intrude on your personal space and sit next to you. At best, you control what time you get to the bus stop, and that's it. 
which hopefully can translate again to what time you expect to get to your destination. Everything else is really out of your hands. Essentially, if, you, if we're, if we're going to think about it in one way, you're simply along for the ride at the driver's whim, following wherever he decides to go in hopes that he eventually gets you where you want to be. Driving yourself, alternatively, is much, much more convenient. You decide when, to, you're in the driver's seat. You decide when to leave, how fast you'll go within the parameters of the law, then. Where, where, where you'll make a stop, how long you'll be stopped there, which route to take, who gets to be in the car with you. Um, all of those things are now within your realm of control. When you decide to drive yourself, you get to decide all of those things as the one who sits in the driver's seat. It seems pretty cut and dry to me why we would choose to drive ourselves somewhere over take a public transit. But, but let's pretend I am a psychopath, just for a brief minute. Um, if, if both options were available to me, let's say that my functional truck outside, which has served me greatly since I've been 16 years old, let's pretend that I decide to forsake it tomorrow and determine that the bus is the way to go. I, I'm adamant that I ride public transportation. It's not that there's anything wrong mechanically with my truck in terms of being able to drive it, but instead I simply like that I don't have the responsibility of being the driver. If I, don't, if I don't get places in a certain frame of time, I can just blame the bus. I like not having the responsibility of determining where to go and how to get there, and that would be the sole reason why I choose to ride the bus over the truck. And you're probably wondering what any of this has to do with our text tonight, and quite frankly, I'm almost not certain either, so I'll try to get to the point. We would think it's crazy for someone, as they're getting up in the morning, they're leaving their house, they take the keys to their perfectly functioning vehicle, they put them in their pocket, walk out the door, pass their vehicle down the street to the bus stop and wait 15 minutes in the cold for a bus. Furthermore, it would be absolutely rage-inducing for the individual to do such a thing then come back and complain about all the waiting and the inconveniences that came from riding the bus as they walk again past their functioning car. Brother Samuel just bought a nice new Subaru. And so I can't imagine that if he walked in and, or decided one day to do such a thing, I've never seen Miss Brielle get violent, but if a large tithe check came in, you knew that the life insurance policy was pretty good. So it'd be completely absurd for someone to choose to ride the bus with keys to a perfectly functioning vehicle in your pocket. It'd call you crazy. However, what I have tended to notice, and this is, this is true even of myself, when it comes to our minds, and our thoughts and what we think, we tend to consider that completely acceptable. And what do I mean by that? Um, I read a quote a while back in a book. I was reading a couple of books at the same time. I think it was, his name is Thomas Sterner. He wrote a book called The Practicing Mind, but it could be Cal Newport, it could be neither. My memory's kind of lapsing on me right now. I digress. The quote said something along the lines of, people no longer seem to be thinking anymore but rather they experience thoughts as they go along for the ride with their mind in the driver's seat. And the idea is similar to what we're discussing in terms of transportation. You have the choice. We, we have the choice to determine what we think. And while, you know, you might initially sit there and listen to that and think, well, I'm in complete control of what I'm thinking. What are you talking about? I, I have free will. You know, I'm, I'm deciding what to think right now. But then when you sit down and do something that requires a lot of mental focus, like write a sermon, you quickly realize how little control over your thoughts you have. <laughs> we like to actively be in control of the driver's seat of our car, but when it comes to our thoughts, many of us are just kind of passively along for the ride. If we have a goal or destination in mind, sometimes we just relegate ourselves to, to hoping our mind kind of gets us there eventually. 
And the way we think has a, absolute, has a profound effect on absolutely everything else. And your basic thinking pattern is what determines how you ultimately perceive and interact with the world around you. And so for our passage tonight, it's really of my persuasion that, that Paul is communicating this in some way to the Philippian church here. And I'd hopefully like to defend that. The church at Philippi, really this, the, kind of the background for this, this book, the church at Philippi was very special to Paul. It was one of the first churches that he ever planted. And quite frankly, they didn't, they didn't really have a whole lot they were doing wrong. This isn't a letter to the Corinthians where Paul's saying, whoa, you, you, you got to get some things straight. The church at Philippi was really doing quite well. Um, the occasion he's writing this, Paul's been in prison um, and they, they were supplying his needs financially in some ways and, and, and then as well, uh, one of their own members, Epaphroditus, he was sick unto death and and they were, they were faithful. He mentions in, in chapter 1 that, that he's thankful on every, on every mention of them and the places that he goes. They're, they're, just, they're good people. And it's not that they're doing anything wrong. But he, he wants to see the need as, as things are going on. He's in prison. Paphroditus is sick. And there's, there's just a little bit of turmoil going on. He wants to exhort them to just continue to grow and develop faithfully as Christians. He primarily exhorts them to do really two things, two major things within the epistle. There's two patterns. One would be to rejoice always. The word joy and rejoice occurs many, many times throughout a, actually a very short letter. Uh, and then the second would be to have unity with each other, to continue to grow together and to, to, to minister the gospel together. Now, both of these things are mentioned more than once uh, because these two things are really are the key to what leads to continual spiritual growth. And I think if we had the option to pick, we'd all like to have both of these things. You know, you'd like to be a joyful person. You want to be someone who gets along well with others. I think if we all, if we all had to choose whether we were or we weren't, I, I think it would be safe to say most of us would like to be that. Um, once again, I, I, that, that reminds me of my mom. My mom's one of the happiest people I've ever met. and Everybody likes her. She's great. <laughs> but, and, it, and this is why I think that this, is, this core lesson of her, she manifests that and it, it, it really... It, causes this truth to jump out to me, at least from my perspective. I think uh, the relationship between these exhortations in this passage, at least in chapter 4, is, is interesting because Paul really is kind of laying out a, blu a blueprint here on how to achieve both of those things. And I look at them really starting from verse number 2 uh, down to verse number 8. It's kind of scaling down in nature. It's going from a macro to a micro. And as we get into it, We'll turn around and, and kind of take an upward glance at it and hopefully see how it all fits together. So I've broken it down uh, into, into four basic points. And, and I'll go through the first three fairly quickly because I think it all hinges on, on point number four, which we find in verse number eight. Um, but purpose number one, you know, he's, he mentions in verse number two uh, that Yodius and Syntyche, that they be of the same mind. He is calling for unity, like we talked about earlier. The point is... You have to maintain unity in your relationships in order to minister effectively to people. That's a, that's a command that we have. The specific source of tension between these two ladies isn't necessarily identified, but, but it's essential that they resolve it uh, for the ministry of the church at Philippi to be, to be as effective as it could be. Um, Paul exhorts then the, the true yoke fellow, and that, that's really just kind of a general term for everybody who was there, who was listening to the letter. He's telling everyone, hey, everyone, encourage these ladies help these ladies be of the same mind. And we, 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 we have, as well, as members of Eastside Baptist Church, we all have a responsibility to be of the same mind with each other, to, to ensure that, that we're interacting with each other amicably and that, there's, that we don't have anything between each other. And, and positive, that, that quickly brings us to our next point. We have a responsibility to, to, 
to each other to do our part to maintain unity in the body, but, but how do we do that? Because everybody's so different, everybody has different perspectives and ideas. Um, positive relationships are, are significantly impacted then by, by an internally positive perspective. And I know that sounds kind of new age, huey gooey, and uh, we'll, we'll, oftentimes our perspectives on people and situations and on life itself is determined by our frame of mind when confronted with challenges and difficulties uh, in our lives and the lives of others. Um, it's more than simply kind of a new age self-help quote to be like, think positively. That's not, that's not necessarily what we're getting across. We're dealing with something deeper than just simply being positive. Positive relationships are managed by maintaining a positive perspective. And the biblical solution is not, is not vague and abstract. Paul prescribes joy. So what he prescribes then to, as, a, as a purpose to, to achieve this unity is in verse number four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The solution to unity is, is to joy, a joyful outlook on life. When? Always. Paul reminds the, you have, to, you have to recognize that joy is not a fleeting feeling to pursue, but a frame of mind that's rooted in the source you choose to draw from. There's a lot of things that are capable of making us happy. You know, I think in, in some ways I kind of laugh because the, the phrase that we're all familiar with, money can't buy happiness, money doesn't buy happiness, it's a little disingenuous because it does. It's just that the source that you plug into, it, it, it dries up pretty quick. Like you're happy for like this long. And then you have to find happiness in something else. So Paul's prescription here is not just be joyful. Be joyful, by have, be joyful always by having your source of joy plugged into the proper source. It needs to be rooted in the right thing. Where would that be? Verse number four, it says rejoice in where? The Lord. We have an obligation to live rejoicing in the Lord. Joy that is rooted in the Lord and his care and provision is, is going to allow you to develop that spirit of unity and that spirit, ministering spirit by keeping life both good and bad within proper perspective. And I mean, Paul, I think, again, deals with that later in the chapter because this, this is the same chapter in verse number 4 and 11 when he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He knew, he knew how to be joyful in both the highs and the lows because Paul's joy was rooted in the Lord and he's encouraging these people to do exactly the same thing. Well, how do, we, how do we achieve this? How do we root our joy in the Lord? We've kind of, we've kind of taken a step down, so we have, to have, we have to have unity with one another, but how do we achieve unity? Well, we need, to, we need to correct our perspective on life so that way we have a joy that is rooted in the Lord and it affects our perspective and how we perceive things. Well, the next step down, how do we achieve this joyful outlook? Well, that's by reducing our anxieties, by accepting the things that are not within our realm of control. We go back up, we'll look, we'll look at the, the, the coming verse. It says in, in verse number five, let your moderation be known to all men. Then the Lord is at hand. Um, and, and this is kind of connecting the, both the first statement in verse number five, but also the statement in verse number six. He's saying the Lord is at hand. So, verse number six, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He's drawing it back to that unity, saying the peace of God. That's not just that feeling of peace. I mean, it's that feeling of peace within in the inner turmoils by, by relinquishing control of the things that honestly you can't control to God. That gives you a peace within, but also a peace with other people. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds being of the same mind through Christ Jesus. Paul reminds the Philippian believers that the Lord is at hand. It's their responsibility to live in light of the Lord's return. And likewise, we ought to do the same. We don't have any control over when the Lord returns. And, 
And even on a smaller day-to-day basis, there are plenty of things in our life, such as tomorrow. I mean, generally, we don't have any control over tomorrow or what tomorrow brings. Our responsibility is to do is to do well with what God has given us now to do. By living in light of the Lord's return, we can let go of that which is beyond our control by adjusting the thinking then that is within our control. That brings us to verse number four. So so just to recap once more, you know, we have an obligation to be unified together and to be of the same mind and maintain a spirit of unity. We accomplish that by plugging in our source of our source of a positive outlook, let's say, by rejoicing in the Lord always. We're supposed to root that in the Lord. And in doing so, that allows us to give the things that we would otherwise fret and be anxious over to the Lord. That allows us to maintain that peace both within ourselves and with our, those around us. And in order to do that, though, what is in order to let go of the things that are outside of our control, we take charge of the things that are within our control. We get in the driver's seat and we control what we think on a day-to-day basis. We control the things that we decide to think about. In verse number eight, Paul challenges them, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. There be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And the point is this. The point is this, and this is, this is what my mom instilled in me that I really, I, this is, it's the crux of my being as a person. I, mean, I can't express that to you, really. You have to determine to think thankfully in such a way that you develop the frame of mind to think thankfully rather than critically. And, and the word thankfully, you might think it doesn't say thankfully in the passage, but, but this, I, think, I think I can maybe make a case for that because if Paul is challenging you to rejoice in the Lord, you have to source your joy in the Lord And that's way up here and down here, these things that he's challenging you to think of, what's that supposed to direct your attention to? Just the happy, fun things that are happening in life? No, these are the ways that the Lord has cared for you, provided for you, the things that you enjoy as as an investment that he's made in you directly, the people that he's put in your life, the things that you enjoy because of them. What's What's that supposed to direct your attention to? If we think about it, what's the end to thinking about it if not to be thankful for these things? Paul lays out a pattern for the Philippians to reduce their concern over what they could not control by instructing them to think on the list of things he gives them. It's not done for an arbitrary reason. It's to achieve the command to rejoice in the Lord always. We need to drive ourselves to recondition our thinking so we're not just hapless passengers to our mind in the driver's seat. We do possess the capability to adjust our thinking and, and the product of that is actually quite interesting in that it quite literally can affect your brain. So we're, I'm going to go into nerd talk here. It's been a while since I've done that. I think the last time I did that was the pancreas years ago. And people still won't let me forget that. But your, bra- your brain is plastic, actually. Um, it, it's, it's constantly in a state of potentially renewing itself and, and rewiring itself to best accommodate its needs and the things that you're subjecting it to. The interesting thing about the uh, effectiveness of, of this mindset that Paul is really prescribing here and that my mom was prescribing to me, um, it's reinforced both biblically and scientifically. See, what happens is, excuse me, I'm going to get a drink. Oh, awkward pause. Okay. Our thoughts follow neurological pathways uh, to different areas of our brain, and it regulates all sorts of, of different things, such as physical activities. Physical activities would be what we're most familiar with. Your brain is constantly firing neurons in a particular sequence to perform uh, specific activities as these 
Neurological connections are utilized more and more frequently. The connections between neurological pathways become reinforced and are more readily called upon and much more efficiently perform the same repeated action with ease. I've been training with Brother Carl for the last several months and one of the things that he's been helping me work on is what, what they call in the, in the exercise world, in the weightlifting world, putting the mind in the muscle. Now your muscle, we all know that your muscles don't literally have their own mind, but you do have a neurological connection between your brain and your muscle. And so whenever you're first starting out performing any sort of activity, there's a certain degree to which you can perform it that's almost defined by your neurological connection. Your body can maybe exert force in a certain direction. You can push, a, you can move a weight, but you may not be recruiting your muscles that are required to move that weight as effectively as you could be. You're not only training your muscles to grow stronger, you're actually training your mind to be better at recruiting those muscles for that movement. The same can be can be said in, uh, in a sports athlete such as a boxer. If you watch professional boxers fight and they train, their movements seem so fluid and they're so snappy and, and everything that they do is almost a, a reflex. And that's, that's because the hours of practice, what they've done is it's not, it's not just some training where he's decided I'm going to do this. I mean, he's really reinforced neurological connections in his mind to his, to his body so that the techniques require practically no concentration. He's not really having to think about what he's doing. He's reinforced those connections, and it's all purely reflexive. This is achieved by the brain restructuring itself to better facilitate its needs regarding regular behavioral patterns. There's a, there's a saying that goes around. If you look into any sort of neuroplasticity, and it's, it's the things that fire together, wire together. I first heard that from, from Pastor Hardy, Brother Samuel's dad. He went through a very, very good series on, on addictions. Addictions work the exact same way. I mean, when you, when you trigger that dopamine release in your system and you see a stimulus and it provides that dopamine release, your brain thinks, whatever it is that that is, is good for me. And so then it strengthens those connections to make you more inclined to do that same behavior over and over and over again. Every addiction works that way chemically in your brain. So in truth, though, it's not just relegated to physical activity. The same actually could be said of our thoughts and disposition. Even our thoughts in the physical sense are electrical impulses that are, that are fired along our neurons, not to, not to dehumanize us, but thoughts themselves tend to follow the path of least resistance. For instance, four years ago, I'm, I'm getting married in 18 days, but four years ago, I had no idea who Sarah was. She wasn't a blip on my radar. I thought about her zero. Consequence of not knowing her. However, I had an initial exposure to her. I thought she was very pretty, and it made me very nervous, and I tried to talk to her as often as possible. But, you know, as a consequence of that, I met her. She began to pique my interest. I, would, I noticed myself thinking about her here and there. And then as I, as I thought of those, as I thought of her now and again, in addition to emotions and, and uh, chemical responses in my brain, those, those pathways reinforced themselves and made my mind more readily, more readily available to call upon thoughts about Sarah. I mean, as, as I thought about her more, the pathways deepened. As the pathways deepened, I thought about her more. And now, even when I'm sitting in the passenger seat of my mind and my brain's just kind of going everywhere, I'm thinking about her. And, you know, everyone in here has something that, that works the same way. I mean, we all have sets of things that work exactly like that. So, I'm going to relate this to the text. We're, we'll work, let's work back from the bottom then. Paul's commanding the Philippians then, to think on things that are just, think upon things that are lovely, think upon things that are pure. And it's not natural. It's not natural for us to do that. 
what he's trying to prompt them to do is create a feedback loop. It's kind of like when if I go stand in front of the microphone and, and have the speaker blow into the microphone, the microphone picks it up and everyone's ears want to bleed and people get mad at you, right? You're creating a feedback loop. That's, that's the goal of thinking. You're, you're taking intentional charge of the things that you were thinking of to create a mindset and an outlook that you are more readily putting yourself in a position to think thankfully. Then that moves up a step. So as, as you condition your brain to think about these things, this list of things that Paul mentions in verse number eight, then that, that allows you to more readily, honestly, give things to God. As you're thinking thankfully, you're not thinking critically, you're not stuck, you're, you're putting an end to negative feedback loops, you're creating positive feedback loops. You put yourself in this driver's seat, you think about, you think about these things, you think about the way God has blessed you, you're thankful for the, for the, for the ways that people have invested in you. And, and as that, re, it literally reconditions your mind. You are rewiring your mind to, to operate from a different frame of, frame of mind, to be more thankful, to, be, to, to put yourself in a position to give things to God, to reduce those anxieties. Then it takes it up a step further. It takes it up a step further. Now your joy is rooted in the Lord. It makes you more easily able to root your joy in the Lord and be more consistent in your joy in the Lord. And that brings about unity in your relationships. So, tonight is uh, going to be a, a little bit of a different application, I guess, because this, as, as you could probably tell, I'm, I'm not necessarily making it overly spiritual. In fact, I'm giving a lot of concrete, weird data in order to reinforce the point. But I really want you all to see the importance of thinking thankfully and thinking on these things that this text instructs you to and, and determining to reign in your thoughts because it's, it's vital it's vital to your continual growth as a Christian in your walk because of sourcing your joy in the Lord and, and bringing unity to the body of Christ. Thinking, thinking thankfully and determining to control your mindset and perspective is what will allow you to relinquish to God that which you can't control. Relinquishing that which you can't control to God allows you to do that which is within your control accompanied by the peace of God and reduces unnecessary anxiety toward the troubles of life. Reduced anxiety by balancing your perspective enables you to continually source your daily joy in living from God rather than from the fleeting sources of happiness that the world tries to throw at you. And the ability to consistently rejoice in the Lord and His goodness will enable and strengthen unity in your relationships with other believers, allowing our love to work, allowing for better growth and greater opportunities to minister to those around us. Now tonight, for whatever invitation it is that we may have, um, there may not necessarily be anything that you come forward for. I'm, I'm not looking for it. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that you might have to do is reassess, you know, you know what, are, what am I thinking? You know, in, in, in any given moment, what am I thinking? First of all, am I in the driver's seat? Am I in the driver's seat? Am I, am I consciously thinking of the things that, that the scripture instructs us to think about in order to effectively minister to people, to source, our, to source my joy in the Lord and, and to bring about unity of the body and, and to be able to minister to people around me. What are, what are you thinking? Um, one of the exercises even that, that, that my mom would have me do, you know, to, to condition myself to make sure, am I thinking thankfully, is, is write, down a list of, write down a list of things that fall under the category of verse number eight ways that the Lord has blessed me, ways that other people have blessed me, things that I enjoy, things that have contributed to my growth and development. I list all of those things out. And then I go back through that list and I put a name to every item 
And then I actively go through that list and I try to thank people directly for that which I get to enjoy on that list of things to do. And that conditions my mind, I think, to think more thankfully, which allows me then to recognize that while things may not always go my way, I can leave that which is outside of my control to God. I can rejoice in Him always. And then that enables me to effectively minister to other people because my source of joy is in the right place. So as we all stand, with their heads bowed and eyes closed, again, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what you would take from this tonight. It's a, it's a truth very dear to my heart. It really is. It's, it's set the tone for my family and, and I'm, I'm thankful that my mom spent so much time making sure that even if I walked away from, from my home with only this one thing, it's, I, I can only tell you that I've seen it work. I've seen it in my mom. I've seen it in other people that do the same thing. Uh, and it's, it's been transformative for me and quite frankly has helped me more than, than anything else. So... I'm going to close us in prayer, and then the piano will play, and then as the Lord directs you to respond however you will, let him do what he will. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.